Hello, friends, and welcome to Beauty the Interviews, a podcast production of The Beautiful Project, a storytelling collective that invites women to challenge expectations, creating a world where we belong with substance and with strength. I'm Sarah Stevens, your host for this podcast and the founder of The Beautiful Project. Today, we welcome to the microphone Kit Ford. Kit is a local force to be reckoned with, although if you met her, she probably wouldn't necessarily call herself that. Dr. Kit is driven and committed to helping women heal, so much so that she founded a house of healing intended for women who are surviving domestic violence. Dr. Kit's drive is absolutely connected to her own story, as is true for most of us. She has found tremendous transformation from her pain and from her suffering. And she uses that to help create transformation for other women. Dr. Kit does have a story about sexual violence, about surviving sexual violence, but that isn't anywhere near the focus or the end of Dr. Kit's story. In our time together today, she talks about her own journey, about her own healing from that journey, about the way that she believes that she can transform the world directly through her own pain and healing. I am completely confident that you will find something for yourself in our time with Dr. Kit today. So let's drop in and hear from our brave and beautiful Kit Ford. So thank you for saying yes. Absolutely. So I sent you a um, one-page sheet where I said, hey, first question I'm going to ask you is, uh, what do you think it means to be a survivor? Mm-hmm. So let's start there, and then we'll move into your own personal story, and we'll just kind of just chat. It's just a conversation. Yeah. I mean, what does it mean to be a survivor? I mean, it can be literally, metaphorically as well. Mm-hmm. Um you know, for some of us, to survive means to literally survive um, a space where we were physically, emotionally, psychologically, someone tried to kill us, literally, mm-hmm. and we survived that, mm-hmm. um, be it sexual violence, domestic violence, um, rape, incest, molestation, um, be it gun violence, you know, um, so that's a literal, you right. know, reality, you know, if we come from communities where there's extreme dysfunction and other things that can impact us, mind, body, and spirit, we um, may survive that, um, well, we did survive it if we're still here physically on earth, Um, and I think metaphorically survive means to, you know, endure something that has um, harmed us and being able to work through those things. Um, and um, over work to overcome them. Sometimes we may not completely 100% overcome mm-hmm. certain things because I think healing is a journey, mm-hmm. right? And we get to really good places in our healing journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I think uh, we, we work to, I have a friend that um, we used to do a lot of work together, leading support groups for female survivors of violence and abuse. And, um, she talked about like surviving, like yeah. you not just survive, but you are on this journey, really um, striving to thrive as well in the midst right. of surviving. Right. You know, because you can survive and still be depressed. You can survive and still be um, traumatized. You can survive and still kind of be dormant in mm-hmm. life. 
um, but to work to survive and fight to thrive in yeah. the midst of the survival, yeah. I think um, it's kind of what your project seems to be about. You yes. know, these are women who have survived whatever it is that they've survived. Um, I know there was one lady I think I recommended who had tried to have a baby for a mm-hmm. long time. She recently got pregnant, but I think it took them about 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, and several miscarriages later. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a story of survival, sure you know, is. and fighting yep. to move forward and thrive in the midst of that. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's a combination of working to get past, get through something that was extremely hurtful, and working to turn that um, into something good. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of moving past that idea that our heart's still beating, which is the first part, right? My heart's still beating. I'm still breathing. I'm taking air. Mm-hmm. And then um, the awakening after that, right? After the healing of the physical piece. Yeah, putting the, the awakening. Yeah. yeah, there's an awakening, I think, that happens. And I think it happens in a really particular way for people who have survived physical violence. It's a different kind of awakening. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that. I know that from my own experience, but I want to host a space for that, you know. So mm-hmm. to that end, um, I would like to invite you to share whatever part of your story you want to share with our audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my story, you know, um, it is a joyful one. Oh, I've been so blessed at such a young age. Like, I feel like at this point, it's just that so much sometimes it's a bonus life. Mm. You know, I've always thought that I wasn't going to live very long just because God has um, gifted me with so many things at such a young age. So I've already lived a very full life mm. um, and, I'm, and I'm grateful. You know, I think the bonus life for me is being blessed to journey with um, my husband and I have two small children, mm. you know, and and. Um, and, and now moving forward with Argos House. But before this life, you know, I've already traveled the world. I've already served women and kids around the world. I've already, you know, um, just been able to do so many different things connected to career and education and life and, you know, enjoyment. I mean, I've, I've um, ziplined through the rainforest and went on safaris in East Africa, you know, I've been able wow. to do so many different things. So like, I'm, I'm, um, blood, I've been blessed, Yeah. you know, um, but in the midst of all of those blessings, there's always been this kind of thread of suffering and survival, mm-hmm. right. Um, you know, in my family, but then also in my personal life. So even, you know, in times where, I was moving forward in life, doing, you know, what I thought was everything right. Mm -hmm. Um, These bouts of suffering and extreme pain so that I could eventually be empathetic for other women Mm -hmm. who um, may experience their pain connected to trauma. Um, So, yeah, so me, I'm from a small town in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not so small now. We have like an outlet mall now, which is crazy. (laughs) You've like, arrived. What? What? We have an outlet mall. We have. A, I mean, like it is one of the biggest ones in my state. And That's hotels crazy. and everything. It's called Medvin. I grew up. There were like two stoplights in the Hardys, but you know now it's like the place to be because it's uh, kind of in between Raleigh, North Carolina, and Greensboro, North Carolina. Oh yeah. Okay. So you know people move there because it's kind of in the middle. Um, but yeah, I grew up there, born and raised, not too far from Chapel Hill, where I went to mm-hmm. school. Um, 
but yeah, I grew up in a family, a small town, religious family, but there was a lot of dysfunction. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my grandmother married at the age of 14. It was a very abusive marriage. Um, and so, you know, I, I would see scars and other things connected to that aftermath of her being cut, literally. And, um, and then my mom, I think the dysfunction really continued over in her relationships. Sure. Well, that's what she um, learned, right? Is right. That's yeah. what she learned. Um, and so in turn, that's what my brother learned. Yeah. So he became an abuser, and that's what my sisters learned. So as a child, you know, I had older siblings. Um, the second youngest of five. Okay. So, you know, my brother is about, what, 20-something years older than me. Mm. My sister is about, say, 18 years older than me. Um, that's like almost you know. different generations. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, um, seeing this kind of model of dysfunction, um, was very intense for a young person to mm-hmm. see. Um, you know, at a young age, I knew that there had to be another kind of way. And I was a very quiet child, which is interesting. I'm still kind of quiet. People don't know that, but I actually I, sense that about you. Yeah, yeah. I think you do what you. I think you do what you do publicly because you understand it's Absolutely. at the service of the mission yeah, and the message. Yeah. But I don't think that. I think you've been chosen for that. Right, yeah. that's what it feels like on when yeah, I absolutely. when I interact with you. But I think that um, I think that you probably are more likely to not want to be in the spotlight, right? I mean, if that's not true, you can correct no, me. No, but you're that's, right. You're right. You have, you have a much quieter, more gentle spirit than than what is customarily out in front all the time. Yeah. 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 So with that being said, I'm affirming. <laughs> no, I was a very quiet child. Mm-hmm. So I would sit. You know, my aunt thought that I was kind of disturbed, but I would sit and I would just kind of watch and listen mm. and other things. And I think that allowed me to understand that there had to be, I mean, there was a lot of love in my family, but I understood at a young age that there had to be something different from what I was seeing. Yeah. Um, so at the age of 14, I joined a group in high school called Students Against Violence Everywhere, um, and I eventually became their first youth director and also um, the spokesperson for the organization. So I started, you know, traveling around the state of North Carolina at the age of 14, you know, talking about, um, you know, how violence, there are other options to violence, helping children learn about mediation and, and other things like that. And so that organization became a part of my early teenage life and also my early teens. Um, you know, so moving forward with that, education also became a huge outlet for me. Mm. So even though there was dysfunction in my family, um, education became what I leached, latched on to. Yeah. You know, thank God it was education and not, you know, drugs or anything. That's why I have five degrees. <laughs> you have five degrees? Yeah. That's awesome. I know. It's awesome, but it's crazy, too. Yeah. It's like, okay, no. If I give anyone any type of encouragement, even though all those degrees have been helpful, you know, it was also a part of my survival yeah. in life, yeah. um, which I'm, I'm grateful that it was because it's, it's, it's helpful now. Um, well, it could have but, been a host of other things that oh, were far less helpful. Oh, oh, yeah. Right? That's for sure. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so moving forward, I um, went to college, um, did a lot with the performing arts, but then also um, started learning about social justice, joined Teach for America. Um, and started learning about, got a degree, a master's degree in special education while teaching in Southeast Washington, D.C. 
Bedurmatan there, I learned that uh, a lot of the young girls that I was working with were survivors of rape and incest and molestation. Um, you know, I learned the discrepancies as relates to educational inequality and injustice. You know, even though my children could see the White House, we barely had books and appropriate building for them mm. to learn in. Um, and so it made me want to do more and learn more. Um, and so continue, you know, at that time I started to travel. I would apply for like Fulbright teacher programs and other fellowships that I would be accepted to. So I, I began to be able to see the world and understand the beauty of the world, you know, sitting in Japan and Europe and um, East Africa, all these different places. Um, but saw the beauty of the world, but then also understood the injustice, mm-hmm. injustices of the world and the reality of those you know, so during that time, I started, um, I was taking uh, uh, classes in special education, getting my master's of arts in teaching, but I also started to develop an interest in sex trafficking and human trafficking. Mm. So I started working um, in client services um, with the organization called Polaris Project, and they do a lot internationally with, um, they actually started the hotline for sex trafficking victims. Um, started working in client services for them as a fellow um, and started studying at the same university. I was at Trinity Washington University International Migration. So understanding the complexity and the traumatic reality that survivors go through and how to best serve them. Yeah. Um, so I started you know, taking survivors of sex trafficking to their Narcotics Anonymous meetings and going with them. I started helping women survivors with their resumes, trying to help them get back on their feet. But then I saw psychologically the reality, you know, things like Stockholm Syndrome and other Mm -hmm. psychological realities that made a survivor want to go back to these abusive um, um, uh, sex trafficker and pimp reality relationships. And so it really exposed me to the complexity of abusers and also survivors. Um, And again, wanted to do more. So I I enrolled in... um, I pause you right there for a second. Yeah. I have a question about that. I think sometimes, particularly for people who haven't lived in those in those circumstances, mm-hmm. I think we think that it's very linear and clear. Like, well, why wouldn't you just want a way out? Mm-hmm. Um, did you was when you said you were exposed more to it? Did you have some resistance in the beginning? Some like were you like somewhat confounded? Like, why wouldn't you just go? You know, was there some was there any resistance in you as you sort of watched people? play out their narrative, maybe, and um, the complexity of that. Mm -hmm. So was there some compassion that grew in you, I guess, is what I'm trying to say? Or were you just compassionate from the beginning about Mm -hmm. those situations Mm -hmm. where people didn't exit the way you would expect Mm -hmm. them to? Well, I think it's very complex. You know, now being the founder of our girls' house and working with survivors of domestic violence, you know, it takes a domestic violence survivors on average statistically seven times to actually leave that marriage um, or that abusive relationships and oftentimes it may be too late unless yeah. if they survive it. Same with sex trafficking um, victims. Um, I'm not sure the exact statistics, I'm not sure if it's seven times, um, but domestic violence plays out in those relationships as well or even sometimes more extreme um, with sex trafficking. Um, but you know I think that understanding and studying the psychological complexities mm-hmm. you know oftentimes an abuser uses certain tactics to really um, uh, keep 
a woman wanting to be in that relationship or dependent on that relationship, mm-hmm. be it finances, they may not, you know, have the resources to leave, um, be it, you know, there's certain kind of tactics connected to control and dependence, mm-hmm. um, sexually, physically, emotionally, where a survivor actually or a victim really believes that they can't survive without this person. Right. You know, so to be able to break that psychological, emotional, and physical manipulation, I mean, it takes um, them literally stepping out on faith and going through some really intense counseling and support to really um, deconstruct Mm -hmm. what their abusers have taught them. That's good. Right. I wanted you to talk a little more about that in the... I anticipate there are people in my audience who um, may find themselves in similar situations. And so I wanted you to go a little deeper to send a message to them that um, sometimes I think that when we've tried to break free from any cycle of abuse, whether it's self-inflicted or other-inflicted, I think that sometimes when we've tried it and, quote, failed, unquote, there's so much shame then about having failed. Like there's this thing we carry where we're like, well, I tried and couldn't. I, I really want to communicate to people who hear this that um, that there's a statistical average number of times because it's normal. Yeah. That's my point. It's normal. It's normal that it's not easy, oh. right? It's normal that it's not simple. It's normal that it's not just a linear thing, just Absolutely. this straight line of decision-making. Yeah. So thank you for sharing a little more of your expertise on that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I didn't you mean know, to interrupt, but I really wanted to get deeper on that. This is a... This is an important conversation yeah. know, that we're having. It's not about, you know, what I, everything I have to say. It's about us journeying together yeah. and learning together, even the audience. So, you know, I'm grateful that we can learn together. Yeah, me too. Um, absolutely. But, yeah, so, you know, out of that, I um, went and started studying social justice in the middle of Vermont with people from all around the world. Wow. <laughs> which was very interesting. It was the first time I experienced culture shock, which was interesting because I journeyed yeah. in a lot of different countries. But but Vermont um, felt Vermont, like completely yeah, it foreign. Did, it did. It was a beautiful state, <laughs> but it was like, okay. Where am I? Oh, my God. But it was so worth it. So, um, you know, on that mountain, I learned so much about all of these different isms, sexism, racism, mm. classism, you know, all of these different realities. And it really made me put a mirror in front of my face and really wrestle with where am I in regards to how do I feel about um, the realities of our sisters and brothers identified as gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender. Why do I feel that way? And what do I need to do to really deconstruct and unfold so that I can be a more compassionate person, mm. right? And I think sometimes when we say that we're allies, that we're journeying with people um, who may be seen as a community or in a community outside of our own, you know, we really don't take the time to understand what we believe. And in turn, we end up treating someone inferior or discriminating without even realizing that we are. And so, you know, on that little mountain in the middle of Vermont, thank you, School for International Training, SOT Graduate Institute, it really made us put ourselves in uncomfortable situations so that we could really learn how to extend compassion to other people. Um, And so, you know, that was pretty much, I mean, that's really what I took from my master's degree in social justice and intercultural relations but um, part of that program for me was also doing the Peace Corps. It was mm. called Masters International. 
So my research was going to be focused on the community development work that I was going to be doing in the Caribbean context. Mm-hmm. Um, so I moved to um, the island nation of St. Kitts and Nevis, very small island in the Eastern Caribbean. Beautiful island on the outside. Oh, turquoise water, white sand beaches, mm-hmm. beautiful brown people mm-hmm. that look like me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, it was affirming for me for the first time to be in a context where yeah. everybody looked like my brothers and sisters, you know, and I think um, I love people of all different ethnicities, but to be able to live in a context, even if it's for a short amount of time, where you can identify um culturally with with someone that may have deep roots connected to your ancestors it did something for my spirit I think Mm -hmm. that um you know has stayed with me for the rest of my life so now I can live anywhere and be comfortable with myself Mm. you know and be able to to share my heritage with others and and learn from other people as well which is really exciting um but yeah so in St. Kitts I um work with students with special needs, I taught about HIV and AIDS awareness with young people, work with their Ministry of uh, Women and Gender Affairs to get women involved in politics. Hmm. It was very, um, a very liberating experience. Um, but unfortunately, during that time, I became a survivor of extremely violent sexual assault. I think I've shared this with you before, um, Sarah, but I... Um, you know, was in my apartment. I didn't realize that, I mean, I was so, I was maybe mid-20s, and mm-hmm. um, I was so free-spirited. I mean, yeah. I, um, you know, I've seen a lot in my life, but personally, um, I hadn't had to go through any type of extreme violence. You'd um, always, you'd always been in, like, the observer or witness. Right, right, and journey with other people, right. you know, yeah. um, Thanks be to God, I was never raped as a child yeah. or um, never assaulted as a child. Um, but I, because I saw family members have to go through certain things, and because early on I had journeyed with other people through my work, mm-hmm. I, I was able to be present and extend compassion to people and work and fight for them to receive resources. So, um, you know, when I became a survivor um, and experienced, you know, so I was in my apartment one night. Um, about 11.08, I always remember the time, uh, someone who had been watching my apartment, um, I can remember seeing this person on the corner, um, when I would go and get, like, fries from this Chinese restaurant, um, every morning I remember I would, um, jog up this mountain, I need to do that now, I need to jog up somebody's (laughs) mountain. We don't have a lot of mountains oh, around. Or I need to jog up <laughs> some street. Some hill. Park, something, hill. I know. Yeah. But I used to do this every, almost every morning. It was such a beautiful space. And I can remember jogging through this very deserted path. And often I would see this man on his bike, you mm-hmm. know, just, just there randomly at, at 6.37 in the morning. I didn't think anything of it. I was very, you know, young. And you never sensed danger. Oh, never sensed danger. Okay. I mean, I was, I was helping people. I was, right. you know, um, doing everything that I could on the journey to do things right. Um, I can remember even personally being at a, a space in my life where I was really just working to um, have a stronger relationship with God to mm-hmm. make decisions that um, that were ethical. Um, I can remember even I had, 
I had um, made a decision after the Peace Corps, I was going to go to San Francisco, study women's spirituality, and help women healing from violence and abuse around the world. It was a PhD program. I already, I had it on my vision board on the wall. <laughs> you know, I committed my life, you know, to God. I was even teaching and serving in churches. Um, you know, so it's very interesting, you know, that this happened to me. For your, in your mid-20s psyche, did that commitment to God then, do you think that extended to your, like, so I, I feel like as you're telling me this, you're kind of equating the commitment to God to, and I just knew I would be, I didn't sense danger because, oh, of course, because I mean, that's the exchange. I'm right. committed to you and then it will go this way. Yeah. Now, right? you know, 10 years later, I know that usually when you commit to doing good, oftentimes that's when yeah. things happen to you because right. Right. in Christianity we say, well, the enemy is really upset because he sees that you're working to do good. So mm-hmm. more opposition, mm-hmm. be it in the world or be it spiritually, is going to come against you because mm-hmm. they want to stop you from the good that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you're not Christian, that can still happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't know this as a young person. And, um, you know, I don't think God wanted to hurt, kill kill me or do intense harm to me I mean these are all theological questions and sure. I teach theology this is not a theological discussion <laughs> so I'll just get back to the practicality okay that's fine yeah <laughs> uh, but these are all important theological questions I think because they are impacted um, by suffering yes. you know I mean people ask that question yes. you know, why do bad things happen to, to good, good people, people. Yeah. and I had to ask um, my self that same question, you know, um, someone broke into my apartment, cut me up, beat me, robbed me, um, tried to rape me. Um, thanks be to God, I was able to get away. Mm-hmm. My neighbors heard my screams and I was able to get away with naked body, bloody body, unclothed, cut up. My neighbors pulled me out of that apartment. I was able to unlock the door and get out under the grip of this man and, and his knife um, or my knife the first knife I was somehow able to break it in half wow and um, and but I was able to get away thanks be to God um, they caught him and he was a serial rapist he had raped other women on the island um, and other American women as well nursing mm. students um, and so they caught him um, myself and another woman testified he received 46 years in prison so I think we're going into I haven't done the math but I think we're going maybe into his 10th year in prison so he still has about 36 years left in prison but you know even going through a trial like that and the reality of post-traumatic stress disorder I was diagnosed with that um, anxiety attacks and other things and so you know can you talk a little bit for people so maybe they could identify themselves in it what it what living with PTSD feels mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. what living with PTSD then what it felt like, um, you know, right when my trauma happened, um, I first I didn't sleep for like two days, <laughs> yeah. and I was uh, deported from the island so I could receive medical care. I mean, my hands were all cut up. Um, you know, I had to have surgery on my hands, get my cuts um, sealed, um, and you know, was able to get psychological care. Went through occupational therapy with my hands for a whole year. But PTSD, you know, initially, I remember the first time my family had to go back to work, which was a few days later. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember being in my room. I went to stay with my mom, um, and I can remember um, 
not wanting to open the door because I thought someone was there. Mm -hmm. Nobody was there. And I wouldn't go out of the room. And I remember my aunt had to literally come um, to my window to get a key to open the door to Mm -hmm. come to the house so that she knew so that I knew no one was in there with me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there were days where I can remember I finally gained the courage to get my own room. And I uh, bought a room in an apartment with four other women. And I remember painting the whole room yellow mm-hmm. because I thought that yellow was happy. happy you know, happy. Yeah. And yellow was my color connected to peace and really working to dig. I mean, it's the little things that are big things. I had taken a horticultural, I was in a horticultural therapy support group where all of the women, we journeyed with plants in our healing journey. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it was helpful for me. So I filled my room with plants. I painted my wall yellow. (laughs) And, you know, I thought that would help me. But there were so many times where literally I wouldn't go to sleep until the sun came up because Mm -hmm. of my extreme fear and anxiety of someone coming to harm me. Um, you know, to this day, I don't use big knives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can remember the first couple of times I saw really large knives. I mean, I had anxiety attacks um, just because knives were affiliated with this traumatic event. Um, and so even to this day, I don't have, we do have a couple of big knives, but usually you'll see me using a smaller knife mm-hmm. and, um, just because of my own um, intense reality with large knives. Um but, you know, it took it took some time for me. You know, a lot of counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, what helped me was somatic therapy, where you actually are connected to serve. You're able to journey physically, emotionally, and um, be able to somatically play out. I can remember with my somatic therapist in Chapel Hill at the time. It was the first time where I actually was able to take that vulnerable place of me laying down on my back, on the floor, with my clothes off, being forced. I remember him taking off his pants and telling me to take off my pants. He had a knife to my throat, and I had no choice. It was the most powerless moment that I've ever felt in my whole life. And I can remember in my... So I had to take take the pants off. Mm Mm-hmm. So the only reason I wasn't raped in that moment was because I asked him to, if you're going to do this to me, would you use a condom? Mm. And I was teaching HIV and AIDS education, so I had a big bag of condoms. And so he said, yes, I will. Like, you know, it was a normal relationship. So he drug me to the bathroom. And because of I was able to fight when when he let me go to get the bag and my neighbors had heard me. So that's how I was able to get away from asking him to mm-hmm. use a condom. And um, so um, in that somatic therapy moment, she allowed me for the first time to go back to that place, which was very dark, but she took a pillow and she allowed me to do what I would have done in that moment mm-hmm. if I would have physically, emotionally, and psychologically been able to. So I literally... Push. I don't even know if that pillow exists anymore. <laughs> you shredded it, didn't you? <laughs> but she allowed me to, to feel um, those feelings and to actually push through what I had been suffering from, from that moment. And even though I was there again in my mind, it allowed me to finish something that I hadn't been able to that night. Yeah. And somatically, it allowed me to really work through that. 
which was helpful. So, you know, here at Argos House, I started a healing house for women in the community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, much of what the house represents is connected to, you know, after my traumatic assault, my um, master's thesis, my uh, divinity school, as well as my doctoral work has been focused on what helps women in healing from trauma. Yes. And so because of my own personal experiences of, of healing and being able to access certain resources and my research, I knew that it was important to have a house in the community where free services were offered and a variety of services so that women could figure out what worked for them, be it somatic therapy, be it yoga, be it cooking, sewing, art therapy. Um, And I know that sometimes financially it can be barriers. Because I was working for the government, I was privileged to be able to have these resources paid for by the federal government. Uh, But that's not the case for most women. Um, You know, and so... Being able to journey, um, fight for my own healing, and ten year, ten plus years later, I'm at a very good place in my healing where I can share. And even though I still feel when I share, oftentimes, you know, I'm at a place where uh, where I'm okay. I yeah. sleep at night. Um, you know, my PTSD. I'm less triggered by something very intense. You know, I'm able to share my story and not set up a booby trap. You know, in my hotel room after I share, which I which was happening when I first started traveling around the country and sharing about trauma and healing and sharing my story. So, you know, I think that the thing about life is very interesting. You know, things happen. You know, in Christianity, we say what the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. Yeah. And I remember wrestling with this theologically. You know, in 2 Timothy 2.12 in the Bible, it says, if you suffer with me, you will reign with me. And I'm like, for real? You, I got to suffer to gain abundance in this yeah. life and in the afterlife? You know, so it took me some time to wrestle with that, wrestle with that, especially with God, who I love dearly. Um, but, you know, one thing that I realized is that, that if you move forward, um, if you fight for your survival, if you surround yourself with people who love you mm-hmm. and you allow people to help you, um, you know, God loves us through people and God has trained people in counseling, mm-hmm. in um, spiritual direction, in yoga, in I want you to um, tell a little podcast, bit. Yeah. you know, to yeah. be able to offer resources to help us on the journey Mm -hmm. and I've learned that for myself so now my job in life is to help other women understand that as well yes which is the work you're doing absolutely through Argos House of Healing and Hope www.argoshouse.org check us out (laughs) I will definitely link um, to all of the things that are true about Dr. Kit and Argos House is one of those things in the show notes so that when we do um, give this to the audience they'll have place they'll have a way to get to your work so um, I do want you to share with the audience the, the yo- how yoga was instrumental in your healing because when you shared that with me, um, it, it moved me primarily because, you, um, because your Christianity is so important to you. And often mm-hmm. we can think that those things are at odds with each yeah. other. Yeah, it's true. And so um, it really moved me that you had been open to that as a oh, method yeah. for your healing and oh, how yeah. much it had transformed you. So do you want to share some oh, yeah. about that? Oh, yeah. You know, it's interesting because um, – a Christian publisher has just um, reached out to me, and I'm writing a book about um, 
Christian being a Christian leader and how God calls us in our own uniqueness and it doesn't have to um, you know not knocking denominations because mm-hmm. I was trained in a denomination um, but it really is talking about inclusivity and affirming who we are in our own uniqueness and that God calls us in our own uniqueness and I'll be talking about social entrepreneurship and other things but I think it's directly linked you know I'm from a very small town in North Carolina um, you know very traditional Christianity um, however uh, for whatever reason my journey and God took me to Berkeley California to be trained in seminary which yeah. is very inclusive very um, spiritual very um, um, creative and artistic um, so one of my most transformative healing experiences for myself was through something called kundalini yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can remember um, going to kundalini yoga and there's chanting and there is um, a very physical yet spiritual yoga experience through kundalini yoga. You know, even the teacher wears white and goes through this very, you know, deep training um, with her. Um, so it's pretty masters. foreign to you when you first encountered oh, it. You were like, where yeah. am I? Oh, yeah. But for some reason, I knew I needed to be there. That's so cool. You know, even the chanting was connected to peace. Um, Shanti. I still can remember my teacher's voice. Yeah, like, I've you know, it stays um, in my heart. And I wish I could find her phone number. She's probably like in India or something. <laughs> but she was a sweet lady and who helped me on the healing journey. Um, and we would do these very intense, like, poses and this very deep breathing um but for me though through that those yoga stretches and poses and that breathing it allowed me to be able to be open to um something that I didn't know I needed you know after my first kundalini yoga class it was the first time I was able to walk down the street and not look behind a bush because I thought someone was going to jump out and hurt me. Mm. You know, so through that um, yoga experience, it allowed me to, I think, reconnect with my breath. Yeah. And then also connect with something in my heart, mind, body, and spirit that allowed me to gain um, a sense of peace that surpasses all understanding, we say, mm. in Christianity. And, then, and it actually connected me more with God, mm-hmm. I think, you know, and chanting, um, you know, there's chanting connected to peace, but my chanting oftentimes is surround is, is connected to Christianity. So, sure. So I'm chanting Jesus. If yeah. there's another chant that I may not understand, you know, or if there's some type of visual imagery, like I'm actually thinking about Jesus. And for me, it's yellow and light, really sunshine, what I'm seeing now, which is connected to God's light. So I think, you know, when we talk about yoga, um, it can be personalized for yourself. But I think that there is something, you know, connected to a deep spiritual reality where yoga can be very healing, uh, mind, body, and spirit. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think as a teacher of religion, I teach about Hinduism Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, different yogi practices um, or yoga actually has a deep connection with Mm -hmm. Um, with Hinduism and then yoga actually helped the Buddha um, reach enlightenment and really come up with the spiritual teachings of Buddhism 
Um, but it, but it's a deep, regardless if you're Hindu, Buddhist, or spiritual, or Christian, um, there's certain things connected to the stretching, to the poses, to mm-hmm. the breathing, breathing yep. that will help you um, reconnect with your mind, body, and spirit. And also um, something beyond ourself. And mm-hmm. some people may say God, some people may say Jesus Christ. Some people may say the universe. Yeah. Right. But there's. But there's we're talking about the same it. healing. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and healing is um, needed. Mm-hmm. So desperately. Yeah, try so. yoga. Come on. I love it. Chance. Yes. If Doctor Kit can be healed with Kundalini. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Check it out though. Kundalini was really powerful. That's awesome. So. I'm so grateful for everything you've shared, you know, and I know that we're kind of coming to the end of our time together. So I wanted to know if there's anything else that you want to share um, that you want women to know who are trying to survive something in their lives. Yeah, I would say, you know, healing um, is hard work, you know, but it's possible um, to um, not give up on yourself, you know, to know that um, to ask for help isn't a sign of, Weakness is actually a sign of strength, mm-hmm. right? And, um, you know, just by you listening to this podcast, you know, shows that you are wanting to commit or are already committed to your own um, healing journey and continuously to not just survive, but also thrive. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just keep at it. Know that um, it's possible um, and that you are fearfully and wonderfully made in God's sight. You're precious. Um, and that you deserve the best, which means that in deserving the best, you have to take care of yourself. Yeah. Um, so I'm proud of you, and uh, keep at it. Thank you, Dr. King. Absolutely. All right, friends, that's it for our time with Dr. Kit. I hope that you enjoyed her story as much as I enjoyed being able to bring it to you. You know, the thing that has moved me about Kit all along is... Uh, the way that she expresses God's love, which is interesting coming from me. I have a really long, sort of sorted, complicated relationship with any sort of real religious expression, or even calling God God um, can be a little bit difficult for me from the places that have been really damaging throughout my life. So It's interesting to me that the consolation I get from my time with her is really about the way that she expresses her faith. But any faith that understands that we are called in our uniqueness is an expression of faith that I can definitely get behind. I adore the fact that yoga was a part of her healing. Yoga has been an intense and meaningful part of my own healing. I cannot get over that she has this whole expression of somatic therapy because I know that we are healed directly in our bodies, but there is no escape from that. And her story is perfectly framed that way. So um, there was a lot about my time with Dr. Kit that really resonated with me. I'm hopeful that you had the same experience. I will link in the show notes to Argo's house, to her house of healing, um, as well as some other uh, resources for survivors of domestic violence and sexual violence. I'll also link to the beautiful project in the show notes, just in case uh, anyone wants to find out more about who we are and what we do. 
If you loved today's episode, feel free to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. That's the way that other people can find us. Thank you so much for lending your voice today to this chorus of courage and helping us create a world where we belong with substance and with strength. I'll see you all soon.